What's going on, Spurs Nation? If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you love Spurs basketball. And if you love Spurs basketball and you want to listen to different podcasts, different takes, watch some videos about Spurs ball, and really get your fix, there's only one place to go, and that's to SpursTubeTV.com. Bookmark that page. Check out the podcast. I got them all there for you, not just from SpursTube, but I got uh, Alamo City Limits there. We got... Uh, Spurs and Salsa. We got SSPN at the line, Heroes in the Half Court, right? We're bringing the Spurs content hub to you, so you only need to go to one place, and that's SpursTubeTV.com. You can also find links to Score Big, where you can look for tickets to, to sporting events, concerts for On the Cheap, right? You can also find the links to Fanatics, which is offering official Spurs apparel and awesome merch like the new 75th anniversary jacket, right? Check that stuff out. The shooting jacket, love that stuff. The retro look. Had me hooked from the get-go. If you want to rep your all-star, DeJounte Murray, go to the website, click on the links to the Fanatics fan shop, and it'll take you to where you need to go. So head over to SpursTubeTV.com, join the mailing list so you don't miss a thing, and get your Spurs fix. Por vida. I'm a kinesiology major from the University of Texas at San Antonio, and I have a vision. My vision is to help people become healthier, live healthier lifestyles, make better choices, and to kind of break out of whatever habits that are kind of are keeping them down, keeping them from moving forward in their life and being successful. And that's a vision that I carry into this podcast. And that's a vision that I always keep in the front of my brain when I'm talking to partners and part, potential partnerships with the podcast. And, you know, discussing with Maximum Slim and their products and, and what they got going on, it was easy. It was easy for me to just say like, yo, y'all, you guys, are right there with me. You guys want the same things for my listeners that I want. And that's, you know, for them to live a healthier lifestyle and help them achieve their goals. And Maximum Slim, it's easy. It was easy. Like I said, they're an eco-friendly company that provides premium brand, all natural weight loss products, but they don't just provide the products. And that's, that's where they got me. They also provide their customers with um, health and fitness tips from certified trainers, delicious low calorie recipes from nutritional experts and they provide motivational guidance as well to help the customers live a healthy lifestyle because it's not just about what you take or what you put in your body it's it's the support that you have along the way to help you reach your goals you know my favorite product of theirs is their original coffee their keto coffee love that stuff i'm a beverage guy so you know they're helping men and women from all over the nation shed some unwanted pounds with one simple healthy cup of coffee each day i cannot recommend it enough check out the link in the description below to visit their website check out everything that they can do to help you reach your weight loss and health goals what is going on spurs nation hope you're having a wonderful week there's still got a few more days in front of us before we get back to spurs basketball the spurs got the washington wizards on friday as we look to continue this rodeo road trip and you know end it in in fashion uh this month in february and then head into the final month and a half left of regular season basketball we're looking at 23 games in front of us and what we're going to talk about in this episode are my top six things that we need to keep our eye on and i'm going to go ahead and put aside the whole are we trying to make the play-in versus if we're trying to get a high draft pick, uh, you know, I'm going to put the debate aside and really just kind of look at what we have in front of us and the team we have in front of us and what we need to know. What are those six things to keep your eye on moving forward? And then we'll talk about the actual schedule at the at kind of towards the end of the episode. So thank you for hanging out. Let's get into this episode. It's going to be a fun one. Go Spurs, go. 
Okay, so what are the top six things that we need to watch? I'm gonna give you the list and then we're gonna talk about them individually. Number one, Devin Vassell at the starting shooting guard spot. Number two, Jock Landale and Zach Collins. The minutes, how are they splitting them? We'll talk about that. Number three, Lonnie Walker, the fourth's consistency and opportunity. Number four, Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford production. And if they get any playing time, Number five, Primo and Trey Jones. Backup point guard, shooting guard roles. We'll talk about that. And then we're also going to talk about the play-in race and then our draft odds and kind of where our schedule lines up with the rest of the league. So let's start off with number one. Devin Vassell in the starting shooting guard spot. Listen, when you're watching these next 20-some games. The most important player to watch is Devin Vassell. In terms of player development, it's Devin Vassell and how he produces in this starting shooting guard spot. Okay, so when I think about the future, when I think about the future San Antonio Spurs, it starts here. It starts with Devin Vassell in the shooting guard spot. To me, that's that's step one. Other than DeJounte Murray... Every other starter, every other starting position on the roster, you can question if the player occupying it is even in the correct spot, right? In terms of like Doug McDermott at the four, Keldon Johnson at at, at the at the or, or Keldon Johnson and Doug McDermott in that three and four spot, right? Where are they going to be most successful? I don't know. So we're, there's a lot of questions on almost everybody else on if they're in the right spot. Or if they're good enough to get the San Antonio Spurs back to contention, like Yaka Pertl. Yaka Pertl's had an amazing season playing next to, next to DeJounte Murray. But the question is still out there. Is he good enough? Is that good enough? Are we good enough? Is that going to be a part of that playoff picture team? I want you to close your eyes and actually vision, envision a Spurs team that gets to the playoffs every single year. And I want you to think about who's in those spots right now. And I'm telling you, you know, Devin Vassell is the only one, the only one where I actually feel like that is the first step to getting back to top four, top five seeds in the Western Conference. I even have questions on DeJounte Murray being that point guard for us, for that team. And I think the Spurs can make the team work around DeJounte and Devin Vassell as your one and two. And then the rest of it, I think, is still up in the air. And I'm not saying that Keldon Johnson shouldn't be starting. I'm not saying Doug McDermott shouldn't be starting. But maybe one of those guys should be coming off the bench, real talk. And then are they good enough to get us to the the playoffs every single year if they're both in our starting lineup? Imagine if both of those guys came off the bench. I mean, just in, in some alternate universe out there, if Keldon Johnson and Doug McDermott came off the bench because we had better pieces in those spots just 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 you know picture it for a second or kj at the three and we actually had a legit 610 guy at the four 69 guy at the four and then a, a legit center who's you know who who's gonna you know finish that puzzle of a starting lineup is that Jakob? is he good enough that's the question moving forward and the only like i said the only player is devin vassell that i actually believe is part of that picture so Devin Vassell has started 12 games this season so far. 
with another 23 games left on the schedule, if healthy throughout all those games, he will total 35 starts by the end of this season. His rookie year, we know that he only got a couple starts. He had seven starts, and usually that was because of an injury replacement or, or you, know, so, you know, the players were out and there was really no one else. There was, there was times where Devin Vassell didn't even play his rookie year, which to me was just, you know, made no sense. So Devin Vassell standing at six foot five with a 6'10 wingspan, inserting that type of player into your shooting guard spot is extremely interesting to me. He came into the league listed as a small forward, versatile enough to guard one through four on defense. He can guard your point guard, he can guard your shooting guard, small forward, and even a power forward in certain matchups. And I think in his future, he's going to be more confident in doing that as his body grows. Now, he also came into the league extremely fundamentally sound. Sound enough to blow by his defender, shoot over his defender, and he was also equipped with a relatively veteran-like poise in his decision-making. You rarely saw him make mistakes, his rookie season even. And in his rookie season, he was kind of just trapped over there in the corner. And I think he took that on as a challenge. I think he took that role. He's like, yo, Devin, you're not really going to play much. We're not going to have you coming off the wing, you know, and doing all this type of stuff. You're going to operate from the corner. And boy, did he. And I went back and looked at his film, and he has all types of game from that corner spot. Kind of, you know how Bruce Bowen, they put him in that corner, and it was like, Bruce, you know, you have option A, B, and C. And he became extremely efficient at those options. Right, Devin Vassell did that his rookie year. He learned how to play from the corner. He knew he wasn't going to get the touches. Right, if he was going to get the ball, it was going to be off a swing, swing, you know, from Patty Mills and Rudy Gay and Demar and then Derek and Dejounte, and then last was Devin Vassell. And if he got that ball, usually he was sitting in that corner waiting for that ball, and then he operated at a high level in that corner with great decision making. That's where I'm tying that in. That that's where automatically I was just like, man, this guy's so smart. He's so smart because not everyone can operate in the corner like he does. He has the ability to to attack in the corner, use a one dribble, two dribble pull up, um, get to the rim, miss, get his own shot back. He's just aggressive from the corners. Very interesting to watch him develop from that spot. His rookie season. Now, the upside is off the charts when you when you slide him up to the shooting guard spot. It really, really blows the upside out of the water. Because not only does it add a high-caliber defender to your starting lineup automatically, right? Derek White was a high-caliber defender as well, but very different, right? These They're very different at, at, at the same level as they are defensively because I, I think Derek White is a great defender. So is Devin. Devin just doesn't take as many charges and kind of put his body on the line, but his IQ is off the charts. Not only are you adding that to the starting lineup, but what it also does is it increases the size potential of your starting lineup. Think about it. Devin Vassell at the two-guard spot at 6'5 with 6'10 wingspan next to DeJounte Murray, who's also around 6'5 with another long wingspan. If you want to just get bigger from that point on, your 3, 4, and 5, just keep going up. 
you can get a really, really tall, athletic team and put them on the court together. I mean, right now, we don't really have those pieces. We're kind of in, in this small ball mode, but the potential is there when you slide Devin Vassell from the three to the two. Now, the reason why the Spurs can do this, slide him up to the two, is that his shot package is extremely elite. It is. I'm saying it right now. He already, in his second year, knows how to score from all areas on the floor. He has big time game at the rim, either in transition or attacking off the dribble. We all seen him get up and finish. He's an extremely efficient finisher at the rim, which Derek White was not. Neither is Lonnie Walker. And currently, Joshua Primo is not either. Derek White just became that last season, in my opinion. Derek DeJounte, last season, the last DeMar season, was the first season where I saw so much growth in DeJounte's ability to finish at the rim. Now, this season, it was like on autopilot. But it was barely last season where I feel like he, he put that in his game. Where he was making more layups than he was missing. Devin Vassell is already there. The corner spot, which I just talked about. The elbow. The elbow jump shot. The mid-range spots. He already has poise getting there. He can get there um, just off his penetration. And he's also extremely poised in the pick and roll. And he can come off a screen and get to that elbow spot and make a decision. Pull up mid-range. He can do that. And he's got a smooth three-point shot. He's got it all. And not only that, that's when the ball's in his hands. We already know from these first two years for a year and a half of his career that he is also a smart off-ball cutter. So when he's not being asked to score, he can still be effective by cutting back door and also spacing the floor. You never see him in the wrong spot. You always see him balancing the floor, spacing it out, ready to catch off the perimeter, off a driving kick, or whatever. It is the total package. And if the Spurs are serious about moving forward next season, look for them to install and apply. Keywords there. Install and apply a variety of sets to get him looks. The same way we did for Timmy, the same way we did for Kawhi, the same way that we did for LaMarcus. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We ran the same four or five plays to death because they were able to produce at a high level from those spots. Expect that next season. Okay, we got to get him those looks. The Spurs have to make it a priority. Expect his shot attempts to go from where they are now at 12.3 field goal attempts per game, 10 to next season being somewhere around 16 to 18, right? That is what you need to be expecting from Devin Vassell. And his three-point shot attempts to go from about 5.1 attempts is where he's at right now. I see that going up slightly, maybe taking about seven or eight more, or you know, about seven or eight total, right, per game. The load must increase for Devin Vassell. This season, he's shown extreme efficiency off the bench. I remember, I remember the, the the Dallas game where we lost, where you know he played like twelve minutes and he was like eight for nine. And there's been many games throughout this season where he's limited in minutes, twelve to fifteen a game, 
and he produces on a, a crazy level where he goes, you know, two for three or two for four from three, and then he goes eight for 10 or nine for 12 from the field, right? Like, like that's what Devin Vassell has done in the sample that we have from this year, his sophomore year. He's even had the chance this season to take some big shots down the stretch in close games. Now, he doesn't make all of them. He does, he, and I'll come out and say that. He does not make all of those shots. The ones that are, you, we need this bucket down two or down three or down four with 20, 30 seconds left to go out of a timeout, and we're drawing up this play, and we draw it up for Devin. What that does do, though, make them or miss, whatever. But what that does reflect is the amount of trust and confidence that he has earned from the coaching staff as being a capable guy that can get his shot off when it counts. Now, using my coaching eyes, what I see in Devin reminds me a lot of watching a rookie Kawhi Leonard. This is not a debate over if you love him or hate him, Kawhi. Because there is no debate on how good he was. And how good he was as a rookie and as a sophomore. In a rookie, there was a tr- there was a trial and turbulation period with him where he did not start, and then he ended up taking Richard Jefferson's spot and Steven Jackson's spot. Both of them didn't like it and had to get the hell out. Y'all remember that? And then Kawhi wasn't offensively as um, put together, but he was extremely efficient in what he did get, and he was. The way that the comparison of these two, I just remember being mesmerized all the time Kawhi's rookie sophomore year by by the ease in which he uses his athletic ability to score, to score easy. It's like he's so athletic, but it's just like he doesn't try. Like it's just a little a little push, a little a little lift here, a little lift there, and he's already at the rim, you know, putting the ball in the basket. And every once in a while, you saw that athletic explosion. Every once in a while. Didn't need it. It was too easy. You, and he combined that with a high IQ the same way Devin does on defense. And they both use their length to disrupt some of the best in the game when they're on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm very much looking forward to see how Devin does in the shooting guard spot as a starter. And I'm also very much looking forward to see how his body develops over time because that's only going to increase the potential that he has. So number one, Devin Vassell and that starting spot. Look for the results. The second thing that we got to talk about here is Jock Landale and Zach Collins and the minute split. Really, we got to talk about the whole conversation of the backup big man position as a whole this whole season it's been a carousel this entire season the Spurs have taken every opportunity to showcase Yaka Pertle's development Yaka Pertle has logged a career high 29 minutes per game leaving the depth chart to battle it out for scraps pretty much Drew Eubanks who is now on a 10-day contract with the Portland Trailblazers started off the season getting primary backup minutes. How does that happen? Um, Thaddeus Young, who was next in line after after Drew Eubanks, is now a Toronto Raptor. 
So, you know, that leaves us with two players on our depth chart, and that's Jock Landale and newly healthy Zach Collins to spot Jakob the remainder of this season. And it should be noted that the Spurs like to throw Keita Bates-Diop in there as a small ball center, so we'll, we'll leave that there. Now, what's extremely important to know and why this is important to pay attention to for the remainder of this season is because Keita Bates-Diop, Jock Landale, and and Zach Collins, all their contracts are all non-guaranteed contracts after this season. Now, I know that's unlikely. I don't really see the Spurs just not guaranteeing any of their deals. That's a very unspursy like thing to do, but it is a real possibility. It's 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 a version of the future that is out there that can happen uh, that the Spurs choose to not guarantee their contracts. And then Jakob can literally be the only big man on the roster for next season, heading into next season. And then he will be on an expiring deal as well. You know, although I, you know, I must say I, I, I'm not quite sure that, you know, that means that the Spurs are locked into Jakob. On the contrary, I think that the Spurs have other visions when it comes to their big man spot for the long term you know and this is purely speculation here right but the fact that they've been shopping Jakob around this entire season and very heavily around the trade deadline uh just makes me think that he's going to be a valuable trade piece during this offseason especially around the NBA draft and it's around the NBA draft where they have to start making these decisions on their contracts, on the other guys' contracts, like Zach Collins. You know, his uh, deal uh, needs to be picked up the day after the draft if he's going to be guaranteed for the next season. Um, so, you know, around draft time, we're going to find a lot. We're going to find out a lot about the future of the big man spot for this club. Now, as of late, what we're seeing on the floor is the Spurs are giving Zach Collins the opportunity to play and the opportunity to prove himself that he's healthy and that he's ready to go. And so maybe we should guarantee his deal. Uh, Zach has been averaging 16 minutes since he came back into the fold where he has shown both signs of being a little bit rusty, which you would expect after missing basketball for about two seasons. And also he's shown some high uh, interest points of like glimpses of his past self, right? He's showing aggression. He's, he's showing the ability to pass the ball. You know, he's, he's, he's learning. He's picking it up quick. And it's, it's good stuff that you're seeing out of Zach. It's not all bad. Um, but he seems to be having the primary backup role as of right now, which leads to question the amount of playing time there is going to be for Jock Landale and Bates Diop to make their cases to guarantee their deals for the remaining of this season. You know, the it, or the Spurs can just go double big, right? Just kidding. Yeah, we know that's never going to happen. The Spurs have rarely put Jakob and and uh, Jock Landale out there on the floor at the same time. Um, they, this, that's not something that they, they've done that often. They have done it a few times. Or... Jakob and Zach Collins or Zach Collins and Jock Landale some lineup like that we're not seeing we know the Spurs are going small ball so that's number two keep an eye out for the minute split at the backup center spot because there's a lot of stakes there right some guys contracts are kind of being dependent on that now again like I said I think the Spurs are probably going to end up guaranteeing everybody's contract now does that mean that they're also going to stay on the Spurs no but they're going to be very flexible the Spurs are very flexible right now with what they can do with those guys. 
right? And and Jakob, we'll see what happens with him around trade deadline. It all depends what the Spurs do in the NBA draft and who they draft. To me, is going to determine if Jakob is actually going to be on this team next season. I mentioned it before that I think one of the reasons why the Spurs did not trade him at the trade deadline was one, just to see where his market value was at that certain point, you know, so they can know in the future this is where he's at. And also, I think they did that to keep DJ, um, to keep DJ honest, right? I mean, we want to give him some type of uh, help, right? And right now, DJ and Jakob have a great uh, combination, a great chemistry happening on the pick and roll. Number three, Lonnie Walker's consistency. You no, know, this has been a, a, a conversation that's been fluid pretty much all season, pretty much for the past two seasons. And he has yet to live up to the standard that he set for himself in year two. And we're talking about that stretch of games where, you know, he had that big Houston game. He had a big game after that against Indiana. And then a couple of big ones after that against Phoenix and Boston. It was just a, there was a really high um, ceiling uh, that he set for himself in year two. And he has yet to kind of match that on a consistent basis. And he's shown the the consistency the consistency issues for him to not be able to help this team succeed are, is what worries me. It seems like instead of trying to fill a role to help this team, he's been on this never-ending quest to untap his potential, right? Because he's showing all the ability to do all types of things on the floor, but mastering none of them to the point where he can do it every single night and and uh, help this team. Instead, he's kind of like, oh, I can kind of do it all. I'm trying to be, you know, the next DeMar DeRozan, the next like, you know, triple three-level scoring guy, the next Devin Booker. He kind of wants to be that type of guy. And he's had a lot of troubles with that. Now with Derek White's departure and Devin Vassell moving into the starting lineup, it might create an opportunity for Lonnie Walker to get some consistent minutes. So look forward to that. Walker has put together a pretty impressive three-game stretch here before we got out of the All-Star break against New Orleans, against um, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and against Chicago, right? Lonnie Walker had some pretty, some pretty big nights, three in a row. But that's the thing. If you want to go and look through his stat report this season, you'll find multiple three-game stretches of positive scoring production. But the thing is that those three-game stretches are usually followed by another three or four-game stretch of him getting single-digit scoring games. Sometimes he's only putting up three, four, five points, eight points, you know, in, in three or four games in a row. Again, consistency. And then you'll see another outburst from him. Consistency issues. When it rains, it pours for Lonnie Walker, and then it droughts. The positive, to, uh, of the, in my eyes, the positive of this recent streak that we're seeing out of Lonnie, the difference there, to me, is that he's been doing some uncharacteristic things um, to impact the game. He's been putting up some pretty good rebounding numbers, He's been getting some deflections. He's been a little bit more active in, in the passing lanes, coming up with some steals. Uh, and I've always said that when Lonnie Walker puts a couple rebounds on the board, a couple steals, a couple personal fouls, that's when Lonnie has a good game. And he's been proving me right in these past few games. You've been seeing him get more aggressive getting in there. Um, he needs to find some type of positive identity to bank on 
for this offseason as his contract expires and becomes a free agent. We'll see if the Spurs have plans for him uh, in free agency. Number four, Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford. These two guys actually do have some type of contract security as where half of the guys on our team right now don't going into next season. They're both inked for another season, um, but if they remain in San Antonio is yet to be seen. We'll find out soon. And it's hard for me to really see them cracking the rotation with the games that we have left this season. Again, there's 23 games. There are too many other moving pieces on this roster to evaluate and if the goal is to compete for a play-in, we're going to talk about two scenarios here. If the goal is to compete for a play-in, then I don't see the Spurs messing with the continuity that they have left post-trade deadline. Josh Richardson got his first run against the OKC Thunder, and he looked good. He looked capable. He looked like he can help this team be successful, but we'll see if that trend is stable. Again, it was against OKC, and it's not like he played a lot. He played a little bit here and there, and he showed that he can defend pretty well. He hit a three ball, and he can move the ball as well. He's not going to be a liability out on the floor. Romeo Langford, on the other hand, is still waiting his waiting for his opportunity to showcase what he can do and play. Now, unlike Josh Richardson, Langford is still kind of projected as a project in development from the outside looking in, at least from the Boston Celtics fans and everyone from Boston that was commenting on our videos and, and had an opinion about Romeo Langford. It was, it was a very mixed bag. You know, a lot of people thought that he still has potential, and then a lot of people kind of don't really see him being able to amount to much. Now, Josh Richardson brings that veteran experience, at least. That's why I think it's a little bit easier to plug him in right now at this point in the season. But if Romeo Langford is still going to have to develop in some type of way, you know, I, I really see, I really can't see Coach Pop giving him much playing time until next season. You know, they can be evaluating him on the, on the, on the bench and in practice and all that type of stuff. And maybe he gets a little bit of minutes here and there, depending on the game, if it's a blowout or if we're, or if we're getting blown out, maybe he sees some minutes. But I think if they do have plans for him to stick around past this season, he's going to fall. He's, he's most likely going to fall victim to the having to earn what you get before taking minutes away from Keldon Johnson, Doug McDermott, Devin Vassell, or Josh Primo for even that matter, because that's what will happen if he starts getting playing time. And we know the Spurs right now are loading up the minutes on the guys that they already have. So if I'm wrong and Romeo Langford does get minutes and, and Josh Richardson do get a lot of minutes, I'll be pleasantly surprised just so I can see what they can do but if they both do start getting consistent minutes, I'm telling you right now, that's a low-key way for the San Antonio Spurs to bow out of this season, to bow out of the play-in race, and just kind of call it a day. Let me tell you why. Because they will be sacrificing continuity, right? And that's pretty much all they have left right now. So they will sacrifice continuity to evaluate these two guys and determine their value before the season ends so they can, in fact, use them as trade pieces again at the trade deadline. That's that's the way I see it going down. If the Spurs want to play him now, it's it's basically the Spurs punting this season, right? They they want to evaluate them. They want to get them some playing time. They want to establish them as some type of 
you know, at, at some type of uh, price point, value point, so they can negotiate them into future deals, which, you know, this this NBA draft is is leading up to be something of uh, seismic proportions for this organization just because of all this flexibility that they do have with their current roster and their draft picks moving forward. Number five, Josh Primo and Trey Jones and their backup roles. Right now, I do not see either of them cracking the starting rotation. Even though Josh Primo might be good enough to do that in the future, I don't think it's the Spurs' uh, priority or prerogative to get him in there as fast as possible. I mean, obviously, they they put him in the G League this year just so he can learn um, the type of, you know, uh, atmosphere that comes with being a professional and playing against guys that are hungry and wanting contracts and they wanted him to develop and all that stuff. I just don't see them in any type of way trying to rush Primo to be an, a starter for this team. Now, I think he's good enough to be a starter for this team in the future. I do agree with that. And after a, pre- a pretty impressive season for Joshua Primo, you know, what we need to do, where, where we can start on this evaluation is asking ourselves, what do the Spurs want Josh Primo to be? Do they want him to be a point guard? Do they want him to be a shooting guard? Or do they want him to be a combo guard, right? We all know about his ability to catch and shoot coming out of college. In Austin this season, I think the main developmental goal uh, has been for the the Austin Spurs to develop his on-ball decision making, you know, tightening up his dribble, making him um, making him a more solid decision maker uh, with the ball in his hands, right? And you know, he's also shown during this development um, that he's been able to score off the dribble uh, a little bit more fluidly than we may have suspected coming out of the draft and in summer league. He has a quick release from the three-point line, and he has shown um, even a higher uh, impact at scoring at the rim this season. He's able to get there smoothly and efficiently, and he's actually a pretty good finisher at the rim. But to me, his defense has been the most impressive attribute this season. He has no hesitation to stick his nose in the fight. I've talked about that a few times. I mentioned that in, in a film room breakdown that I did earlier this season against Toronto. He's able to guard on ball, and be a solid help defender on the perimeter. He doesn't get bullied when he's uh, matched up against a bigger forward, and he's not sl- super slow or anything like that on his feet and gives the blow-by to, to people when he's on ball. Uh, so he's very versatile as a defender, and for a 19-year-old and the youngest kid in the league this season, that's extremely foreshadowing for what the Spurs can do with Josh Primo in terms of development over the long game, right? If they're planning to really develop this kid over the long game, he's already equipped with with the defense that's that's a little bit ahead of his time and with the offensive poise where it's just like, and he has, his body's growing and he's, he's athletic, his body's growing. What they're going to be able to do with him is, is extremely interesting and we'll see how that plays out. But I don't really see him taking a starting role. So coming off the bench, let's say that next season, he is a primary bench rotation player. Is he going to be in that point guard combo, shooting guard role? We have to find out. And the other piece to this is Trey Jones. 
now, just like a lot of other guys that we've been talking about on this on this podcast episode, Trey Jones has a non-guaranteed contract heading into next season. But as far as my eyes can see, I think the Spurs love this kid. You know, he's an ultimate competitor. He has a high basketball IQ. And I don't see any reason for the Spurs to be on the market for a backup point guard in the future if Jones, if Trey Jones and the Spurs can come to terms contract-wise. And I think they've shown that commitment to him since they've drafted him. They, they gave him a three-year deal straight out of being a, dra- a draft pick from the second round. That doesn't usually happen. That does not usually happen with second-round picks. So I think they like Trey Jones. Um, you know, Derek White's departure from the Spurs also clears a path for Trey Jones to have a solid role and get some some solid minutes with this as you know as the as the guy who holds the keys for the second unit. Trey Jones has yet to be given that opportunity for a full season. So to be evaluated is like, hey, can you be that backup point guard? We really don't know. We've only seen it in spurts. So it looks like the Spurs will most likely guarantee his deal for sure. Because I don't, I don't think we can go out there and find a better backup point guard right now for this team. For this team, I think Trey Jones is perfect. The timeline where he's at, he's been learning his first two seasons. And I think his third season, now the opportunity is there for him to take the keys for that bench unit and see if he can really turn that bench unit into something consistent. Right, so we'll see. And as of now, it'll be interesting to see if the Spurs are going to play these two side by side, and if they're actually planning on having them come off the bench as 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 kind of a one-two punch in in your backcourt, right? And kind of see where the chips fall at that point. Um, both can push the floor. These two guys can both run an offense. Like I said, Primo's been developing that kind of on-ball decision making in Austin this season. They can both facilitate, run an offense. Primo obviously has the op- the upside, right, when it comes to scoring and shooting the basketball. You know, although, you know, Jones is, is not a slouch at scoring either. He doesn't really have the, the long jump shot in his bag yet, but he's extremely uh, tough in the paint, getting his floater off, getting a mid-range jumper off, and finishing him amongst the trees is actually something he does pretty well. Um, he's able to, to, to kind of navigate through through the traffic and a half court and still be able to get his shot off at the rim. Does a great job protecting the ball when he's driving to the hoop. The final thing to pay attention to this season is the positioning. This, Where are the Spurs going to fall or rise to in terms of Western Conference standings? If we take a look at the schedule remaining for the Spurs, they have three games left in February to close out this rodeo road trip. They got 14 games in March and then another six games in April. And that's it. Let's take a look at the East Coast teams that we're going to play. We only got five. There's 23 games left. Only five of those are against Eastern Conference teams. Now, we're going to go up against some non-playoff teams in the Wizards. That's our first game back on Friday. And then we got the the Pacers in March. The other three teams are playoff teams that are trying to get better, trying to push, and trying to make um, a name for themselves right now. You got teams like the Heat, the Toronto Raptors, and the Charlotte Hornets, right? The Hornets are in that play-in race. The Heat are trying to, you know, get something going to, to, to make some noise in the playoffs. And the Raptors will already play them once, and 
you know, we played them good for about a half. And then the second half, they, they really took it to us. And so we'll say what's up to Thaddeus Young at that point too. Now, the remaining games of this schedule, the remaining, what, 18 games or so uh, left are against West Coast teams. Now, let's talk about it. Out of the, the, the group of West Coast teams that we got left, these are the playoff teams that we're going to be going against. We're going to go against the Grizzlies twice, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Timberwolves twice, the Warriors twice, the Blazers who are securing that 10th spot right now. We'll see what happens with them. We're going to play them three times. Maybe we get to see what's up with Drew Eubanks, say what's up to him. We're going to go up against the Nuggets one more time and then the Mavericks one more time. The Mavericks game was actually the last game of the season. So, you know, it's a tough game to win if we're trying to win for any type of reason, right? And then the non-playoff teams that we're going to play are the Kings, the Thunder. We're going to play the Pelicans two more times and the Rockets. Right, the Kings and the Pelicans are trying to make that push to take that spot away from Portland and maybe even that spot away from the Lakers who are hanging around, I believe, in the in the ninth seed right now. So those two teams are motivated to get to a point, right? And then we got the Rockets, you know, they're not trying to do anything. We know the Thunder aren't trying to do anything either. So those are our opponents for the remaining schedule. Now let's talk about who has the easiest and toughest schedule remaining schedule out of the portland pelicans the portland trailblazers the new orleans pelicans the sacramento kings and the spurs right we're the bottom four teams of the western conference that still kind of have a chance to take a playing spot well portland who is currently holding that 10th spot has the easiest remaining schedule in the league right out of their 23 or 24 games left that they have Three of those games are against us, so that just kind of tells you, yeah, like their 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 schedule is not that tough. Now the Pelicans and the Kings, on the other hand, have the seventh and eighth toughest schedules left in the league, right? So they have a little bit of a challenge in front of them if they want to sneak up there. They're gonna have to play some tough teams. Now the Spurs have the fifteenth toughest schedule remaining in the season, so we're kind of right there in the middle. I mean, looking at it, as I tell you here, some games that that kind of can you you can chalk up as maybe some wins. You got the Thunder, you got the Rockets, um, the Blazers three times. You know, I, I like that. We'll see. You know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the Pacers aren't doing anything special. I really like what they did at the at the trade deadline, but they're kind of heading uh, towards the lottery as well. And so, you know, those are some games that maybe we'll win. And then the rest of them are against some pretty tough teams. Right, so we got to pay attention to what the Spurs do. Again, like I said earlier in the pod, there's a couple of tells along the way to see kind of which direction the Spurs are leaning on. They're not gonna tank for any for any you know in any type of way. That's not what they're gonna do. But if we start playing guys like Jock Landale, Keita Bates Diop, we start playing Trey Jones, we start playing these guys a little bit more. We start getting a lot of Romeo Langford. Right. Lonnie seems to be getting a lot of opportunity to me that that's like that, that that's a version of us tanking without tanking. Right. We're, we're playing these guys so we can evaluate them for the, the franchise moving forward and see what we want to do with their contracts. And we're more prioritized on doing that than making the play. In. Now, if you see a short rotation, 
If you see the Spurs only playing eight guys, the starting five plus Lonnie Walker plus Zach Collins, Trey Jones, and you really don't see much of anyone else, then you might want to take a look at it and think the Spurs are trying to still be competitive to win games. All right, so so keep an eye on the rotation and kind of how many players are coming in and out of the lineup each night for the remaining 20-some games because, you know, it can, we, like I said in the episode or two before, we're in a very... We're in a very interesting spot because we're we're close enough to get into play in, but we're also in a really good draft position where we can hang around five, six, seven, maybe get a, you know a, a top seven pick, and use that as leverage with the other draft picks that we have. Use it as leverage with Josh Richardson and and Jakob Pertl to to make some moves around the the NBA draft. Right, so so far we have a lot of guys that are that are still needing minutes to prove their 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 case to guarantee their contracts. It's almost half of our roster, right? Zach Collins, Jock Landale, Keita Bates, Diop, uh, uh, Trey Jones, Lonnie Walker, are still trying to make his case for a contract next season. So that's five guys right there. That's five guys that are in that situation. Right, so so we'll see what happens. Those are my top six things to watch in this final stretch run from the Spurs. Make sure that you guys go ahead and go to SpursTubeTV.com. Check out all the stuff that we got going on there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Go Spurs, go! Catch you on the next one. Por vida. <laughs>